0: So it is indeed the second Sunday of Easter. It's really hard to believe that just last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday. It seems like the week has been so full. It's hard to get my mind around the idea that Easter was just last week. What do we do with this time after the resurrection? Uh The body of Christ, the church, uh, historically, this is just my opinion, mind you, doesn't do so well with the week after Easter. We're still in the Easter season. This is uh, officially the second Sunday of Easter, but we tend to think that Resurrection Sunday is Easter and then we're done with it and time to move on with the summer and vacations and all those things that we do. Uh, nothing wrong with those things. That's not my intent to uh, to dissuade you from taking a vacation because we certainly all need to have some rest and respite, uh, especially after a busy season like Lent. But Easter Resurrection Sunday has come and gone, but the Easter season is still here. What do we do with it? Well, Jesus had plans for the disciples after the resurrection, and so He also has plans for you and me after Resurrection Sunday. And one of the ways that we look at this after Resurrection Sunday period is in the Gospel according to John. I'm in the 20th chapter. Uh, I believe that the uh, bulletin insert has this, does it not? Yes. Yes. John 20 verses 19 through 31. I'm going to be reading from the message version, but you're welcome to follow along in the bulletin or whatever version of the Bible you have with you. So hear what John says in his Gospel. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews, had locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were exuberant. Jesus repeated his greeting, Peace to you. Just as the Father sent me, I send you. Then he took a deep breath and breathed into them. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? But Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we saw the master. But he said, unless I see the nail holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes, and stick my hand in his side, I will not believe it. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. This time, Thomas was with them. Jesus came through the locked doors, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Then he focused his attention on Thomas. Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. Thomas said, My Master, my God. Jesus said, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life, in the way He personally revealed it. This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Glory to you, Lord Christ. So, in this passage of Scripture, we see Jesus dealing with His disciples about what they should be doing after the resurrection. It's good information, since we are in the period after the resurrection, and we may be wondering, as a church, as the body of Christ, what now? What do we do next? And so Jesus tells his disciples, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when Jesus says, the Father sent me, and so I'm sending you, this is what we call... And we have been talking about this since I took this pulpit in 2018. This is what we call the Missio Dei, the mission of God, the sending of God. As the Father has sent Jesus, so Jesus is now sending you and me. In effect, Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, was launching the mission of the church into the world to proclaim the good news, that gospel message of the mercy and grace of God, the forgiveness of sins, God's grace poured out on us through the blood of Jesus, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of that launching the mission of the church into the world. I am sending you. Do you feel sent? Maybe not. That's what we're talking about today. One of the reasons sometimes we don't feel sent is we don't feel like we have any power or authority to carry out that mission. Who am I to preach the gospel? Well, Jesus took care of that here for us. Verses 22 and 23 say, Then He took a deep breath and breathed into them. Receive the Holy Spirit, He said. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins... What are we going to do with them? They're going to linger. Everyone's still going to be in that sin state unless the church, the body of Christ, does something about it. And so there's our mission. And He doesn't just send us on a mission. He sends us on a mission with power, Holy Spirit power, to proclaim God's forgiveness of sins. He breathes into us. He inspires us. That's what inspire means. It means to breathe in. And so He breathes into us the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out the mission of the church, which is what? We all know it. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And as Methodists, we believe that the local church And extension ministries of the church provide the most significant arenas through which disciple-making occurs. That's not Pastor Stephen. That's the book of Discipline, paragraph 120. As Methodists, we believe that this arena, the local church, you and me, we are the disciple-makers. We're the ones on a mission. And I can tell you that the real ministry of the church is something that we have not really been about as a church these past couple of years. Well, there's been a lot of excuses for that. And if we're completely transparent and honest with ourselves, we have bought into the excuses, by and large, for the most part. That's not condemnation. It's just facts. We had a plague. In fact, we have remnants of the plague still hither and yon. Not only did we have a plague, but we had division in the denomination, the United Methodist Church. And that division is yet to be settled. And so we have spent a lot of time dealing with the plague and with the division, and we haven't really been focused on the main thing, the mission of the church, the mission of the body of Christ, the mission that Jesus sent us on here in the Gospel of John to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the saving of souls. That's why the church exists. That's why Jesus launched the church. To save souls. To reconcile God's people back to God. And if that's our mission as the church, then everything that we do as the church should be a movement toward that goal, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Now, it's pretty simple, and when I say simple, I mean straightforward mission. It's pretty clear what our mission is, but even though it might be simple and straightforward, we have to admit that it's not ever easy. It has to be accomplished by the church, and the church is made up of humans. Humans who are fallible and have issues. And one of the biggest issues that we suffer as humans is this thing called doubt. Now Thomas, in this passage, is famous for doubt, isn't he? Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails, unless i put my hand in his side not i won't believe <clears throat> it's not as casual as that not not i can't believe it's i will not it's a decision not to believe unless i get tangible proof and so he's earned a reputation i guess as doubting thomas that's what we call him he has this reputation and we're hard on thomas we often forget that the other disciples had locked themselves in a room for two weeks, even after having seen the risen Christ and believed that it was the risen Christ. They saw him and believed, and yet Thomas gets the reputation as being a doubter. If locking yourselves in a room out of fear, after having witnessed the risen Christ, if that's not doubt, I don't know what is but okay, we'll give the other disciples a pass and we'll blame Thomas for being the doubter. He gets the bad reputation. We're hard on him. But see, what we need to be asking ourselves in this story is how are we any different from Thomas? We have doubts, don't we? Or is it just me? We fall short of the glory of God, don't we? Or is it just me? See, we have questions. Sometimes we're fearful. And the fear leads to doubt, or maybe it's the doubt leads to fear. I'm not sure what the relationship is, but I know that doubt and fear go together. We pray at times and wonder if we've been heard. We know the Bible says to act one way, and we seldom embrace Scripture and jump in with both feet, do we? There are many examples in the Bible that I can think of where we have doubts. One of the biggest ones, I suppose, is is the tithe. The Bible says tithe. God says, you can go ahead and test me on this. It's the only thing that God says test me on. Go ahead and test me on tithing and see if you tithe. Won't it, doesn't it open up the floodgates of God's storehouses and even though we have that assurance from God, and He says, "Test me on this, even though we have that, we don't jump into the tithe with both feet, do we? Oh, 10 percent. That's more than the state of Texas requires in sales tax. We don't jump in to the tithe with an all-in attitude. We might stick a toe in the tithe, the tithe water. But we don't jump in with both feet. Why not? Because of doubt. Now, this is not a sermon about church finances. It's just one example of the ways that we don't follow God's directives because we have doubts. And so are we really any different from Thomas? So here's some good news for all of us doubting Thomas's. God understands your doubt. Jesus can handle your doubt. Jesus didn't write Thomas off because of his unbelief. He didn't shun Thomas for his doubt. He didn't make him sit in the corner of the upper room until he got his doubt under control. No. Jesus understood Thomas's doubt. When Thomas wasn't there the first time to see Jesus came back for Thomas. He came back so that Thomas could see and he could touch if he wanted to and he could believe. He tells him, put your finger here and see My hands. Reach out your hand and put it in My side. Don't be a doubter. Be a believer. And so Jesus came back for Thomas and He gave him exactly what He needed to move from his doubt into belief. And here's the thing, if you're a doubting Thomas, and we are all doubting Thomases from time to time, Jesus will do the same for you. Jesus will come back for you. Time and time again, Jesus will come back and give you exactly what it is you need to believe. And so in Thomas's case, Jesus said, touch, see. Now, Thomas didn't touch. It says nowhere that, that Thomas actually put his finger in the hole. All, it was enough for Thomas to see and to hear Jesus saying to him, you can touch if you want to, whatever you need. I will give it to you. Thomas saw and he believed and he proclaimed, my Lord and my God. He confessed Jesus with his mouth, believing it finally in his heart that Jesus was exactly who He said He was and that He had done exactly what He had said He would do. He rose from the grave. And so Jesus says to him, Have you believed because you have seen Me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. See, Jesus was okay with the doubt. He was willing to provide what Thomas needed to believe, but he tells Thomas how great would it have been, Thomas, if you would have believed without seeing me. See, those who believe based purely on faith, purely on the Word of the Gospel, those people, Jesus said, will be blessed. And guess what? Good news. Those blessed people, that's you and me. Unless you were in that room and saw Jesus and He said, you can touch the holes in my hands if you want to, you are a believer based on faith alone. And so Jesus says, you are extra blessed because we believe, we've proclaimed my Lord and my God without the benefit of putting our fingers in the wound." Now, here's the thing that's truly astounding to me. If we, as the church, as believers, can believe Jesus in the main thing, that He is Lord and that He is risen, if we can believe that, why is it we have such a struggle believing in Him for the little things? Why don't we trust Him with our healing? Why don't we trust Him with our finances? Why don't we trust Him with our relationships? Why don't we trust Him with our everyday fears and doubts and burdens? And while we're at it, why don't we trust Him in this mission that He has given for us to do? Why aren't we making disciples for the transformation of the world? Why aren't we carrying out the mission of the church, it's really very simple. The answer is doubt. Doubt. We have doubt in our ability. We have doubt in our scriptural knowledge. We have doubt in our ability to speak. Doubt in our willpower to carry out the mission. All of those doubts, the the thing is as a follower in Christ, it's not on our own abilities that we have to depend like the disciples in the upper room, we are inspired by the Holy Spirit. That is, we are breathed in with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit power that accomplishes the mission. It's not my power. It's not your power. It's not willpower. It's God power. It's Holy Spirit power. And you have it. If you have said yes to Jesus as Lord, you have it. The Holy Spirit has set up His temple within you. You are His base of operations to go out and spread the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not up to your power. It's not up to your ability. It's all up to the Holy Spirit who works in you. And so, with the plague and the politics in the United Methodist Church, all of that, it's time for us to put that aside and get back to the mission. It's time to make the the main thing the only thing. This resurrection that we've all just experienced, that's, that's a resurrection of the Missio Dei, the sending of God. Now, we've been talking... These past few years, about this missional mindset where we as the body of Christ embrace the sending of God, the same God who sent Jesus is now sending you and me into the world to carry out the mission of the church, and the world needs the church more than ever today. You are called as a Christian to be an evangelist, to spread the gospel. By living among the people in this community as light in the darkness. By shining the love of Christ into the lives of everybody that you meet. You are called to feed the hungry. To break bread with the people of this community. And so I always ask questions around this sending. This mission that God has us on. When is the last time you shared a meal with someone who is not family or church family? When is the last time you shared a spiritual meal with anyone who is not family or church family? When is the last time you prayed with the people of this community? With, not for, with the people of this community. When is the last time you prayed with someone who is not family or church family? Interesting question. You're also called to satisfy those who thirst for actual water, but also for the life-giving water of Jesus. When's the last time you gave a stranger a drink of water? When's the last time you gave a stranger a taste of the living water of the gospel? We're also called to heal the sick, to take care of the poor and widow, to visit those who are captives in prison. These are all callings of the sending of God. We're called to give ourselves for the forward movement of the kingdom of God. That's the sending of God. You've been sent. The question is, are you even moving yet? Are you walking out that sending of God yet? Are you at all moving in your mission field yet? By the way, the mission field starts at that threshold. When you walk out of the sanctuary, you are in your mission field. We are all called. We can sit back in our sanctuary and and feel safe, protected, sheltered. But the sanctuary is the place where you get charged up to go out. It's not the place that you retreat to to hide away like locking yourselves in the upper room. Whatever it is you do in your daily routine, do it for the honor and glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. So.